Amen. Y'all can have a seat. Well, it has been a good morning already, hasn't it? Yeah, pretty good. Um, I'm really excited to be here. My name is John and I just serve as one of the pastors here. And um, I just, just been reflecting and thinking about um, just this morning, even just thinking about um, kicking things off with baby dedication. Um, I hope that's a, that's a time that's, that encourages us as a church. Um, this is something that um, we used to do baby dedication in the afternoons and kind of made it a, a special kind of reception for those families. And I'm so glad that we shifted and started doing that during the service because I, I believe that baby dedications is almost just as important for those families as it is for us, the church body. Because in that moment, we have the opportunity to come alongside them and to say, hey, we got your back. We're in this thing with you. And that I hope you feel a responsibility for that. I hope you feel a, a call to that. And one of the most practical ways um, that we can come alongside these families um, is serving in our kids' ministry. That's one of the easiest ways and practical ways for us to be able to do that. And we have an opportunity for you coming up um, this summer with Vacation Bible School. This is something that we do um, each summer and it happens in the evenings. And it's just a chance for us to pour into these children um, a little bit more than we typically would be able to. And the reason we do it in the evenings is it allows people to be able to get off work and be able to come and participate in that. And next Sunday, in between the services at 1015, um, we're gonna have an interest meeting for those that are um, wanting to help serve with that. And so if that's something that maybe um, you're feeling like God's calling you to, or um, maybe you aren't, well, I can go ahead and, and tell you, I think he might be, because um, we just said that we want to support these families and here's our opportunity to be able to do that. And so I hope that uh, we'll fill that room up with people. I hope that following Monday, um, Olivia comes into the office and she says, guys, I don't know what to do with all these people. We have too many people to serve for Vacation Bible School. I just don't know what we're going to do um, because we just see the incredible support that our church is offering um, these children so we can pour into them. And I just want you to know, v VBS, it's an incredibly fun time. Um, we get to pour Jesus into these kids. We get to pour candy into these kids, and then we send them on to other people's homes, right? It's awesome. It's great. So hopefully you will participate in that. Um, it's going to be an awesome time. And so again, that's next Sunday in between the services. You can find out some more information about that. Um, today, we are finishing up this series called On the Move. Um, we've been going through the book of Acts, and so we actually have one more series um, in the books of Acts that will happen um, after this series. And so um, hopefully this has been an encouraging time for you um, as we've gone through the book of Acts. This is just the story of the early church. This is um, after Jesus has risen from the grave, and now his um, disciples and, and the early church, they're beginning to, to spread the gospel to, um, to the ends of the earth, and we get to kind of watch how that took place, and we can kind of learn things along the way and see what are the things that we can still put in place um, here today. And so today we're going to be in chapter 23 of Acts. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to chapter 23. And we're going to read um, the first 11 verses of this chapter, and then we'll pray and we will dive into this message. All right. So Acts chapter 23, beginning in verse one, it says this, Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, my brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God and in all good conscience to this day. At this, the high priest Ananias ordered those standing near Paul to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. You sit there to judge me according to the law, yet you yourself violate the law by commanding that I be struck. Those who were standing near Paul said, how dare you insult God's high priest? Paul replied, brothers, I did not realize that he was the high priest for it is written, do not speak evil about the ruler of your people. 
Then Paul, knowing that some of them were Sadducees and other Pharisees, called out in the Sanhedrin, my brothers, I'm a Pharisee, descended from Pharisees. I stand on trial because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. When he said this, a dispute broke out between the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the assembly was divided. You see, the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection and that they are neither angels nor spirits, but the Pharisees believe all of these things. Now there was a great uproar and some of the teachers of the law who were Pharisees stood up and argued vigorously. We find nothing wrong with this man, they said. What if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him? The dispute became so violent that the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them. He ordered the troops to go down and take him away from them by force and bringing them into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. Let's pray. Father, we are so, so thankful for your grace. God, for the opportunity just to be in this room together, God, to worship you, to again and again, week in and week out, be reminded of the grace that you extended to us, God. Father, I, I feel your presence here this morning, God. I feel that you are moving in this place this morning. And God, I ask for more. God, I ask that you continue to stir people in this room this morning, that, that God, we will grow in our knowledge of you, we'll grow in our understanding of you, that God, I pray that God, you calm any of my own nerves, God, I confess, I, I've struggled trying to hear from you on God. What is it that you desire for this message to be, God? And I submit all that to you, God. I pray that your Holy Spirit just speaks through this time, God. Hide me behind your cross. Let it be only your words. Let it be the thing that is gonna be fruitful for this body of believers, God. We pray that you just come, you move, you come and be amongst us, God. We need you, God. We need more of you. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for what you've already done this morning. Speak to us clearly. And we lift all this up in your son's name. Amen. So I, as I was thinking about this message, I, and I kind of, as I mentioned in the, in the prayer, um, I, I have struggled a little bit with this and struggled trying to figure out, God, what is it that you um, desire for today? And, and what I want us to do is, um, there's some things that I wanna pull out of this chapter, um, but I believe that there's kind of one thing that it's easy for us to kind of gloss over. It's easy for us to um, forget about. And so um, we'll circle back to that at the end, um, but let's just kind of walk through and kind of help explain what's going on here. And so we kind of jumped right in with, with Paul standing before this, this Sanhedrin. We know from um, the previous chapter that um, Paul's been arrested because he's created a little bit of, of a um, uproar with um, the Jewish people because he's been talking about Jesus. They don't really like this. And so um, they've been trying to stop him with what he's been doing. He's been spreading the gospel. He's been sharing it. Um, the, the church has been growing rapidly and they're trying to shut this down. They're trying to make sure that this stops. And so um, we find out again um, last week that he gets arrested. Um, they don't realize he's a Roman citizen. And so um, they go ahead and chain him, chain him up. And then they also realize that he is a Roman citizen. And now they're trying to kind of play catch up a little bit and try to get things right. Cause it wasn't lawful for a Roman citizen to be put in chains before he had an opportunity to be on trial. And so that's kind of what's going on right here. The Sanhedrin, this was like the legal counsel for the, the Jewish people. This is where they would um, come to them with um, any type of religious issues or 
or legal issues, and they would be kind of brought before this, um, this council uh, to be discussed. And so this is what, what Paul is dealing with right here. And this is a pretty big issue. This is a pretty big deal for him to be standing before him, that he could be, again, thrown into prison. He could ultimately be, be killed for this. This is not a, a good situation that Paul is in. And so he comes before them and what we kind of begin to realize that um, happens is when he comes to them and says, like, I've, I'm coming here in good conscience. I've fulfilled what God has called me to do. They don't like that. They feel like that is almost a blaspheming um, thing for Paul to be able to, de to declare because they don't think what he's doing is of God. And so when Ananias, the high um, priest, looks at him and says, basically, how dare you say that? We have to understand the high priest, this was kind of the, the, the top dog, right? This was somebody that you don't talk back to, right? You don't... Um, um, you, you have an extreme respect for. Um, I was thinking about yesterday, um, we were watching TV and kind of watching the, um, the funeral of Prince um, Philip. Maybe some of y'all watched that as well. And it's always interesting kind of walk, watching anything that has to do with the royal family because there's just so much protocol and there's so much history and there's so much certain ways of, of doing things. But one of the things is that there's such a respect and a revere for the queen, right? Like there's certain things that, you know, nobody can just go up to the, to the queen and just tell her off, right? That, that wouldn't go so well, right? This is, and this is kind of who we're talking about here. The high priest is kind of like the queen of England. Like you, you wouldn't want to talk bad to this person. And so when Paul basically fires something back to the high priest and the high priest basically responds to like, how dare you say that? Here's the context of, of, of why that was such a big deal. And there's several different commentaries that I kind of learned with, with some of this stuff is that, Honestly, um, a lot of Christian scholars, they've struggled with this passage whenever Paul responds back and says, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall, to, to think that how dare Paul say that to this high priest. And what some commentaries um, say is that they think that um, Paul was known to have bad eyesight. And so um, chances are this, this high priest would have been wearing white. And so it could have just been that Paul just kind of saw a, a blur of a person, didn't realize it was the high priest. And so that's why he's kind of saying this whitewashed wall is that he's just, that's kind of all he's seeing. Others um, think that maybe he just um, didn't recognize the high priest. Didn't, maybe he wasn't wearing the, the clothes he normally would have worn. And so he didn't recognize it. Or maybe he just didn't hear who said that. Whatever the case may be, Paul recognizes once he, he realizes who the high priest was and that it was the high priest that said that, he goes on and he says, look, I, I realized and that I didn't, or I didn't realize that this was the high priest um, for it's written, do not speak evil about the ruler of your people. And so, but ultimately Paul's trying to get at something here. Paul, the, the reason he, he came back kind of firing as hot as he did was because he was trying to drive a point home for them. And this is where we get to verse six. And this is where I see that he's really trying to drive this specific point home. And this is when he is basically saying that I stand trial because of the hope of the resurrection. The reason he's saying this to this specific group of people is we have to understand who these Sadducees are and who these Pharisees are. And so the Sadducees, these were a group of religious leaders that they ultimately, they were in charge of the Sanhedrin and they were also in charge of the, the temple of Jerusalem. And so um, they're kind of running all of these things. However, they don't believe in any of the kind of supernatural. So they don't believe in angels or demons or the resurrection or heaven or hell. Basically everything they believe in is, is here on earth. And they don't even believe that God has an ability to even affect their daily lives. And so everything they look at is very specific to the here and the now. 
But what's interesting about that is because they were in charge of the Sanhedrin, they're in charge of the, the, the temple, is that what came with that was money. What came with that was um, status. And they didn't want to lose that. And so they continued to try to operate and do the things that they had always done because it gave them that sense of security. They enjoyed the things that came with being a Sadducee. And so that's kind of that group of people. Now you have the Pharisees. We're, most of us are probably familiar with the Pharisees because we realize these were a lot of the people that Jesus encountered in his life, where he's coming across these people that um, they, they are the ones that um, practice the law perfectly. They think that they um, do everything right, that they, um, they are making themselves right in the eyes of the Lord by what they can do. And so when Jesus came on the scene and said, look, it's, it doesn't matter what you can do because you can never do enough to make yourself right in the eyes of God, that that basically upends their whole belief system, everything that they had ever known. And so they don't really like Jesus or what he stood for. So even though they believe in the resurrection, they believe that there's life after death, they believe that one day we too will be raised, they didn't really like what Paul was saying. They didn't like what Jesus was saying. And so Paul, he's kind of splitting them against themselves because you have the Sadducees who don't believe in the resurrection. So he's talking about the belief in the resurrection. They're not liking that. Well, he's also talking about in terms of the resurrection, where he's talking about Jesus, the Pharisees don't like that. And so it's, it's kind of pitting them against one another. And it's almost like they begin to team up with one another to say, hey, we don't really like one another, but we don't like Paul even more than that. And so, hey, let's kind of come together and be on the same page with this. But Paul's very specific in why he's wanting to do that, because what we'll see in Paul's life, and hopefully what you've seen up to this point in the book of Acts, is everything that Paul does, everything that Paul is, is driving at is get to the resurrection, right? To get to the reality that the resurrection is what changes everything. For Paul, it's what, it's what motivates him to do all that he's called to do. And for Paul, it's, it's not just even the resurrection of Jesus, it's also looking at the resurrection that one day that we too will be resurrected. We too will be made new again. If you want to have some like um, additional reading for this week, go and read Revelation 21 and 22. We get to see this example of where a new heaven and a new earth is gonna come. And one day all of this is gonna be renewed and restored and made right. And that that's going to, to come. There's more to the resurrection of the dead than just Jesus. And so go read that and go see what is promised to us in scripture. But this, this creates this dispute. This, this creates an uproar where it's, it's frustrating them even more. And that's what, when you talk about the resurrection, you talk about Jesus, that's what it does to religious people. It gets them frustrated. It causes an uproar. But I love what happens in verse 11, because we see in the midst of Paul being on trial, in the midst of Paul dealing with this conflict and dealing with all these things that are going on. And even though we look at it and we're like, man, Paul is just, man, he's, he's kicking butt or he's, he's, whatever you want to say, whatever you want to look at, I've seen Paul doing what he's doing. There's still an element that he had to be scared. He had to be intimidated with what he was up against. You have to realize this, his life is on the line and he's willing to put it all on the line because of his hope in the resurrection. But in the midst of that, in the midst of his trial, we see in verse 11, the following night, the Lord, Jesus, stood near Paul and said, take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. In the midst of all of that, Jesus was with Paul saying, take courage, I'm with you. And how often do we need to be reminded of that same thing as when we are in those situations and those scenarios where we feel like our back is up against the wall. We feel like everybody's against us. We feel like we're the only one trying to talk about truth and we're getting pushback that we can take heart because Jesus is right here with us saying, 
take courage, right? And what a reminder that can be for us. As the chapter continues, we see that there's a plot to ultimately kill Paul, right? There's a group of people that rise up. They basically say, we're not going to eat and we're not going to drink until we kill Paul, right? That's, that's some commitment right there, right? To say, we're not going to eat and we're not going to drink until this man dies. They, they, were, they were over it. They were tired of what Paul was stirring up. And part of me is like, man, how awesome would it be to stir people that much up for Jesus that they were like, I'm not even gonna eat or drink because I'm so frustrated with what you're doing. You're like, yeah, that's right. Because I'm sharing the gospel. People's lives are being changed and it's awesome, right? How awesome would that be? That'd be cool, right? Maybe some of you are like, I don't know. I don't really want people to kill me. So like, hey, I like sharing Jesus, but easy on the killing me, right? But like for Paul, man, he, he's excited about this and he's pumped up about this. But the, the Christians during this time, they kind of begin to, to move Paul along in secret to make sure that he doesn't get killed because it's kind of important what Paul's doing, what God's wanting to do through Paul's life. And so um, they kind of move him around secretly. So this group of people that have been committed to, to wanting to kill him aren't able to do that. And ultimately that's gonna lead him um, to um, this, this kind of net city where he's gonna experience somebody. And we're gonna pick that up with that next week of kind of what happens after Paul has moved um, to basically ultimately not um, get killed. But I was thinking about this passage. I was thinking about, man, there's, I think it's good for us to have some context with what's going on. I think it's good for us to understand these Sadducees and these Pharisees and understand why did Paul speak the way that he did? Why did he use the tactics that he did? Why um, do we need to be reminded that even in our troubled times that Jesus is with us, there's, there's good things we need to get out of that. But what I kept on coming back to is verse six. And it says, I stand on trial because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. Chris said it earlier in, in beginning of worship where he's like, you know, the resurrection, Jesus being alive, it's still true today, right? We don't just celebrate that on Easter. But as I think about that, like, I think sometimes we almost forget about the power of the resurrection. We forget about what that entails. The reason Paul was so motivated is because he understood what that represented, what that entailed. The reason that at whatever the cost, Paul was willing to put his life on the line was because of his belief in the resurrection. Why was he willing to do this? Because the thing is, is that his belief and his knowledge of the resurrection is our same knowledge. We have the same understanding and the same knowledge as Paul. Why sometimes then is it that we see the way that Paul carried out his life and the way sometimes we carried our lives look a little bit different? that we don't seem to have that same um, confidence, that same motivation, that same conviction that Paul had or that some of these other disciples or um, Christians had at this time. And I think it's because sometimes it just becomes commonplace for us. The resurrection, Jesus rising from the grave can become just commonplace for us. I was reading, there's a statistic out there that was taken several years ago, but it says about 70% of Americans, Christian or otherwise, believe in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. There's people that aren't even Christians that say, yeah, I don't have a problem believing that. Yeah, I believe there's this guy that lived this life and he died and he, he rose again. Yeah, yeah, I'm good with that, no problem. And it's like, we, I think about that and I'm like, how has that become something that we can just go, yeah, cool, no problem. Like, I'm fine with that. And that not really have any change in our life. Because really, when we think about the fact that a man that walked this earth rose from the grave, like, should that not be something that every day we wake up and we're like, did I, did I dream that? Because like, 
I, wait a minute, a guy rose from the grave? And like, not just like rose from the grave, like, you know, he was, you know, um, had gotten knocked out. They used a little defibrillator thing and like he comes back to life and then dies again. No, like is raised from the grave and then lives on forever after that. Like, it, how is that so commonplace? And here's what I think ends up happening to us. I think we begin to, to get distracted and we allow that, what that represents to just be something where we forget about it. We get distracted by it. I think about it this way. I think about, you know, for parents in here, maybe you remember um, that day that your child was born, right? Being in the delivery room and seeing this, this miracle take place, right? I remember that moment so vividly, right? Seeing my children born and literally life is just like happening in front of you. And like, if you're a parent out here, you know that that, that moment and that situation and what's going on there, it's incredibly, incredibly disgusting, isn't it? And there's people out there like you're, you're going, oh, childbirth is so beautiful. No, it's not. It's not beautiful. It's disgusting. But you know what? It's incredible, isn't it? Right? It's this, this incredible moment where you see this take place and you're just like, I just want to hold this baby. I want to never leave this baby. Like, I'll do anything for this baby, right? There's nothing that could separate you in that moment, right? And then two years go by and that same child is losing their ever loving mind because you wiped their nose because snot was coming out their, their nose. And you're like, hey, you probably not want to have snot coming out your nose. So you wipe it off and they're like, ah, right? Real life, right? Anybody else you've experienced just the tantrum of a two-year-old, right? It's horrible. And you're like, just get in the other room. I need a moment, right? And suddenly you forgot about what it was like in that delivery room where you're like, oh, sweet baby, I'll do anything for you. I don't want to lose this feeling. I don't want to leave you. And then you're like, just go, just somewhere else. Just go somewhere else, right? We forget about it. It doesn't have the same feeling that it once had. Think about it this way. And I'm gonna go ahead and preface this and say, this is the worst example and the worst metaphor you're ever going to hear. But you know what? Let's just, let's just keep it going. Why not, right? So it's like the movie Men in Black. All right, you ready? Okay. So in the movie Men in Black, Will Smith's character finds out that there's aliens that exist among us, right? And his mind is blown. He's like, I can't believe that there's aliens that are living among us. But you know what? He makes this commitment. If this is true, I'm going to commit my life to protecting this galaxy, right? I'm going to protect people because I now have this knowledge and it changed him, right? Well, then as the movie went on, he became more and more comfortable with the fact that aliens were living amongst us. It wasn't as big of a deal for him anymore. It's like, oh yeah, there's some aliens over there. No big deal, right? Whatever. And then the movies go on, right? The movies got worse and worse and worse. Why did they get worse and worse and worse? Because he got more and more comfortable with the fact that there's just aliens that exist out here. And he's like, whatever, there's just aliens. And they just recreated really, really bad movies. And so if he had continued to have the same type of awe that he had in that first movie, the rest of the movies wouldn't have stunk, right? Are we following? No? Okay, that's okay. So here's what I'm saying, right? Here's what I'm saying. So often in our life, we have a moment where we recognize what Jesus has done for us. We recognize that that same power that rose Jesus from the grave is what allowed us to come into right standing with God. But then day in and day go, goes out and we begin to forget that. And that becomes normal. That becomes commonplace. And it doesn't quite have the impact that it once had. And it just begins to lead us down a path where we just aren't quite as motivated by that. So how do we change this church? 
How do we have the same conviction that Paul had with the resurrection and his belief of the resurrection? Here's what I believe. I believe one of the ways that that happens, one of the ways we can be reminded of that is seeing that power displayed in other people, right? When you see God doing something in somebody else's life, it reminds you of, oh yeah, that Jesus that's affecting their life, that was the Jesus that affected my life. That power that's affecting that person's life is the same power that's affecting my life, the same power that rose Jesus from the grave. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to watch a story of a couple whose lives were changed in an incredible way by the same power that rose Jesus from the grave. Y'all check this out. A lot of people that waver, they don't want to give everything up. They don't want to totally commit. And that's the biggest problem. I promise you, if you totally commit and give your whole heart and every ounce of your being to Jesus Christ, he will take it away from you in such a way that you will never go back to it. But you've got to commit. By the time I was 15, I'd started drinking. And by the time I was 17, I was a full-blown alcoholic. Started using methamphetamines, cocaine, uh, and uh, did that for probably 20 years. It just progressed, it got worse and worse. And then when you get into the drugs, the devil grabs a hold of you and he just starts pulling you down a little bit at a time. You don't realize how, how deep he's taking you until you get chin deep. And by then it's, it's almost too late. There's only one thing that'll help you then, that's Jesus Christ. By the time I had reached um, my later teen years and early adult, I was a full-blown alcoholic as well. I was, you know, living to party. I spent all my money on, on it, you know. I tried almost everything at least once, um, and some of it I liked, some of it I didn't. And if I liked it, I continued doing it, and I saw, uh, sought it out. Um, but I was saved as a child, uh, or I thought I was, you know. Um, I guess I was because Jesus never left me. He was always there. He always corrected me when I was doing wrong. And uh, he called out to me so many times and, and I just ignored him so much, um, but he never left me. So a friend of mine and I went last year and purchased a bunch of psychedelic mushrooms. Uh, and we went to the woods and we went arrowhead hunting and we took all the mushrooms and it got pretty deep and he ended up telling me he wanted to kill his girlfriend, wanted me to help him with it. And so we got into a pretty heated discussion. I told him I, you know, I couldn't be a part of murdering somebody. Um, and he, he ended up telling me that he was gonna, he, he thought he might have to kill me. Um, uh, he ended up running away, and leaving me out there for dead in the woods. Um, and I was, I was fearful. I had nothing with me. It was dark. Um, I was getting ate up by mosquitoes, no flashlight, and it's pitch black. I knew that that was the end of the line. Um, I really felt like I was going to die, and I didn't know. Um, you know, and I've always known that Jesus has been calling me, and 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 always convicting me of doing wrong and I'd always run from it and that was the culmination of everything that I'd done in my life coming to a head in one spot and so I just cried out to Jesus I threw my arms up 
and I told him that, I said, you know, God, you won. Um, save me, please. Um, save me from what I've done to myself. And uh, he did instantly. It was, I instantly had a, a rush of um, contentment and peace come over me and I haven't looked back. He was able to tell me what happened. Uh, and I said, you know, there's no, no other explanation when we have to give our lives to Jesus. We have to turn our lives mm -hmm. over and quit the drugs. And so we went immediately and uh, admitted everything to our families, um, told them what we'd been doing for the past 10 years. And it floored them, especially my mom. She was so shocked. Uh, some of our family members had an idea, but my mom was really, the, and my stepdad was the most hurt by it. But I'd met the Gatos, uh, Vivian especially, um, through my sister, and I'd heard Vivian pray. And I, I just knew that we needed some kind of prayer. We needed, you know, my mom and, and Vivian and, and people like that to pray for us and to, to help us, and um, my sister set up a meeting with us and Vivian, and she prayed for us, and um, it was phenomenal. Never, yeah, it was. It was phenomenal. She she had us do the sinner's prayer again as adults, and um, made us commit to coming to church. And she said, "You have to come to our group," you know. And mm -hmm. we've been going to her group and coming to church ever since, and it's the best thing that we've ever done. By far, our whole life revolves around God now. Um, you know, from the time we get up in the morning, um, we pray, read our Bibles before work. As soon as we get home, we're reading Bibles, praying, uh, watching sermons online, and, and having Bible studies. Uh, and I would, I would say to anybody that's wavering um, in their faith or in, struggling in their addiction, uh, is totally immerse yourself in Jesus Christ. There's no way that I could ever go back and, and do what I was doing before after feeling the, the love and the, the fullness that I have now uh, in Jesus. If we didn't have our small group, you know, we would just be coming on Sundays and I'm not so sure that we'd still be coming if we didn't have those connections because it's hard to connect on a Sunday morning. I agree with that. Um, because, you know, after you know, worshiping and, and listening to the sermon and, you know, people are ready to go home and there's no really fellowship, but the fellowship happens in the small group. And right. it's just really important to make those connections and those friendships inside the church so that you can get involved. And, and it, it, it just helps with the commitment factor so much more. Um, it's helped us. The way that that Jesus um, never left me, for one thing, and the way He saved us and delivered us. You know, not many people can ha struggle with addiction and alcoholism and like we have for so long and just be able to walk away. And without Jesus, I don't think that we could have ever done that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I owe Him my life. Me too. I'll never go back.
Man, Chris and Kelly are a incredible, incredible couple. And I remember when I was watching that um, video for the first time, you kind of get to the middle of it and you're just kind of like, what? Like, what's going on? And honestly, I look at that story and my first question is, how can that happen? How can God take where they were at to where they are now? How in the world is that possible? And it's the same power that rose Jesus from the grave, that same power. It's just incredible. And I just, like, I don't know how to even comprehend what happens when God begins to do that in people's lives, but he begins to, to move in their lives like that. There's no, nothing else to look at, no other explanation. It's not because Chris and Kelly just suddenly were like, you know what, we're gonna try harder, right? It's not that. Obviously there was an element of they had to make commitments themselves, but ultimately it was only something that God was doing in and through them. Right now as a church, we have had more people approach us and say, I just feel like God is calling me to ministry. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that looks like, but just, I'm just feeling this stirring that God is calling me to ministry. How does that happen? That same power, that raised Jesus from the dead is moving in people's lives. So how do we continue to see that take place? How do we continue to be a part of it and continue to stay in tune, have that same type of reminder of the resurrection that it affects us day in and day out and it never becomes commonplace. And I believe that occurs in us when there are three things that are present, prayer, Commitment and movement. Prayer, commitment, and movement. These are not the things that cause God's power to happen. These are the things that allow us to stay reminded and consistent in recognizing that power. So prayer. Church, I would say this. I would say that the church as a whole has underestimated and underutilized prayer. I know for me, I've underestimated and underutilized prayer. I believe um, there was um, several years ago, um, I preached a message and one of the things I said is I said that I, I believe that prayer is God's method to accomplish his purpose. And I believe oftentimes the way that God accomplishes his purposes is through the prayer of his people. I don't know exactly how it works. I don't know how all that happens. God does, right? But like, there's something about prayer that's involved with the, the move of God. And I've seen that to be true in my own life. I've seen that to be true in many of your lives. I've seen that to be true in the life of this church. And this past Friday, I saw a um, incredible example of this. And I started thinking to myself, how is it that Chris and Kelly had the change that they did. And I, I believe that one, obviously the power of God, but how did that begin as a believe that there were people that were praying for them consistently. And that move of God happened because people began getting on their knees for them, on their behalf, interceding on their behalf. How is it that people are being stirred right now in our church, right? Feeling like God is calling them to ministries because people have been praying for them. People have been praying that that takes place in the life of our church. 
on Friday, and I've mentioned this before, of, um, there's a group of people that come together and they just they pray on Friday mornings for, for you, for this church, for this community. And it's the, the type of group of people that wouldn't, nobody, um, they, they wouldn't want anybody knowing that they're, they're doing that. But this, this Friday morning, I was um, still trying to put together this message. And so I was up at the church and I just decided to, to sit in um, on this time. Um, and I didn't say one word. I just kind of sat and I just wanted to just sit in the presence of, of prayer, sit in the presence of others, sit in the presence of Jesus and just, um, and just to be quiet and to be still. And I brought my journal with me and I just started journaling their prayers. I started journaling the things that they were lifting up to God. There was a consistent theme of them asking God for him to pour his spirit more into us, asking for your power to come down, for you to come into the lives of your people, asking this all in the name of Jesus, continually calling out the name of Jesus, recognizing that any, the only thing that is possible is only possible through the name of Jesus, that Jesus, you would cleanse us from what is not right, that the eyes of this church right here, that they would be opened to your purpose, God, that we would see clearly what the body of Christ is called to, that you would be calling people, not just people to draw a paycheck, but people to be doing the work of God in ministry, that, that, you, that we would just be asking for more, that you would fill every person, you would stir your people, that we would pray for a spiritual awakening to take place, that it might occur and begin right here, that we would pray for those colleges that are right across town, that you would empower these students, that you would give them clear visions of their calling and that no one would be influencing them, but rather they would be influencing others. They would be the Shadrach, Meshachs, and Abednegoes of their time, rising up and saying, we are not going to bow down and be intimidated by others. We are going to be the ones that are gonna be intimidating. We're gonna be the ones that rise up and speak the truth to others. God, let us not limit you. God, you were able to do abundantly more than we could ever think or imagine. Remind us of this, God. And no matter how painful, take away the things that are not of you in our lives. God, continue to do that. Continue to pour out your spirit on us. These are the prayers that are happening, that are coming out. And then I step back and I, and I see videos like that. And I'm like, how did that take place? Because of what's happening in a group of people in this church that are saying, God, we want more. God, we saw the power that was displayed in the raising of your son, Jesus. And we're just foolish enough to think that you could continue to do the same thing, right? And so we're gonna pray. We're gonna intercede on the behalf of others. There were several times that individuals were called out by name and we were praying specific things for those people. People in this room that you were being prayed for, you were being thought about. And I just think about my own life and thinking about people that have come up to me and, and they said, I want you to know I'm praying for you. And I, it wasn't one of those times where I'm like, they, they probably aren't praying for me. It was one of those times that I'm like, I know this person's interceding on my behalf. Yesterday, when I sent Chris and Kelly a text and said, hey, I'd love to show y'all's story tomorrow. They said, we'll be praying for you the rest of the day. And I had every bit of confidence to know that they would be going to battle for today and for what God was gonna use in their story. Prayer needs to become our weapon. 
Prayer needs to be the thing that we recognize and we continue to tap in to the power of God. Right now, I don't know if y'all know this, um, but we're in the, the season of Ramadan for um, the Muslim faith. And this calendar year happens between April 12th and May 12th. And we've got um, missionaries that are, that are out there ministering to Muslim people. And they've asked that we join them in prayer during the season. This is a time that they, uh, the Muslim people, they come together and they really are intentional in seeking a lot through prayer and worship and fasting. And this is an opportunity that we have as Christians to pray and to intercede on their behalf. There's 1.8 billion Muslims that live in this world. Are we burdened by that? In the past 15 years, more Muslims have come to know Jesus than the past 14 year, 1,400 years combined. In the past 15 years, more Muslims have come to know Jesus than in the past 14 year, four, good grief, 1,400 years combined. How is that happening? I think there's some people that are in their prayer closets, that are in conference rooms, that are in churches, that are saying, God, we believe you can do something incredible and we're gonna pray. I encourage us, come alongside our missionaries and partner with them and pray for the Muslim people. Because I believe we can see God continue to do an incredible work. Commitment, commitment. We recognize that in our lives, there's, there's, a, there's a part of us that has to be committed to doing the continued work of, of God in our lives. Not that we can do it in of ourselves. We can't earn our salvation. So I'm not talking about salvation, but there's a continued work that takes place. And I, wait, I believe the way that commitment looks in the life of a Christian is it's displayed as surrender. Commitment is displayed as surrender because for us, us remaining committed to Christ is us continuing to surrender ourselves to Jesus. Chris and Kelly, they talked about this in the video. They talked about when they wake up in the mornings, right? They're praying, they're reading scripture. When they get home after work, they're praying, they're reading scripture, right? That's requiring a commitment on their part. There's requiring them to surrender their sleep, to surrender their time. Both of them, they, they work tough jobs. It's probably not easy sometimes to get off work and to say, hey, we're still gonna dig into the Bible. We're still gonna dig into prayer. But they're like, you know what? It's, it's too important, I mean, We've we're gonna to continue to surrender our wants and our desires to Jesus. We're not gonna be like the Sadducees who are just trying to see what they can gain here on earth. They're, they're saying that they're gonna set aside the things that would make them feel, or to the, the, just the joys of this world, that they're gonna set those things aside in order to make a greater commitment to the Lord. That it requires us to put in the time, to put in the energy, thinking about all these people that are feeling stirred by Jesus right now to, to be in ministry. What does that type of commitment look like? What does that mean you might have to be willing to give up? If you want to step into that type of relationship, are you willing to give up something, your time, your money, whatever it might be that God's calling you to in movement? Here's what I mean by that. I was talking to my wife last night. We were talking through this message and I was just trying to kind of wrap my head around things. And I was thinking about... Um, the name of the series, On the Move, right? And so often throughout this whole series, all I've thought about is about Paul and about these different missionaries that are going from town to town. That's why we called it this is we saw them that they're kind of on the move, right? They're, they're, they're moving from town to town. But what I realized is that for us, our faith should have movement, right? We should be actively moving in our faith. We shouldn't just be stagnant 
in our faith. The reason many of you, you're feeling stirred is because you were meant to be feeling stirred. Every single person in here, I've got something to tell you. You all are being stirred to being called to ministry. Every single person, right? Because God's word, it says that the work of ministry is completed by the saints, all of us, right? Many of you, you've had moments, you've been to conferences where you just felt like God confirmed that call in your life. And I think that's incredible. And I don't wanna to, to belittle that or to lower that, but many of you today need to recognize that today is your calling to ministry. Maybe you didn't recognize it ever before. Today, you are called to ministry. If you are a Christian, everything that God is going to continue to work in you, continue to grow you in, is all for the work of ministry, all for the work of his glory being seen over this entire world. You should be moving in your faith. One of the things that we, it's easy for us to forget about when we look at Paul, we look at some of these others that are in scripture is that we think that maybe they just got to where they were just like that, right? From the moment of Paul coming to know Jesus and having that experience with him on the Damascus road to him having his first missionary journey was about 14 years, right? I don't think Paul was just stagnant for those 14 years where he was just like, well, I'm just going to wait until God tells me to go somewhere. Like he was doing something, right? He was probably growing. He was pouring into his faith. I think there was probably things that he was doing with the people around him, right? Sharing his faith. And there's tons of different thoughts of exactly what was going on during that time, but he wasn't stagnant. That he was being prepared for something. Many of you, you're being prepared for something, or maybe you're getting ready to step into something that God's been preparing you in for a very long time. If there's an element of us that's feeling like we're sitting still, are we ready to push past that? Here's what I would say to you. Some of us are in here today and you've never fully tapped into the power of Jesus. You've never fully stepped into what God was calling you to because you knew and you know that Jesus was risen from the grave. And you don't have a problem thinking about that, but you've never surrendered to him. You've never actually allowed that to be something that actually changed your life, that actually changed the direction of what your life entailed. And maybe the reason that that is just an event in history and not the thing in your life is because you don't understand why Jesus had to die for you. And for all of us in here to be reminded of the fact that when sin entered this world, we were separated from our, God, from our Father in heaven. And that for years and years and years, people tried to do enough to make themselves in right standing with the Father. But there was nothing they could ever do because who can pay that type of um, uh, offense back, right? God's the only one that can ever make that relationship restored again because there's not enough that we could try to give back to the creator of the universe for what we have done against him. And God knew this, which is why he sent his son to die for us. But the thing is, is if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, then he wouldn't have defeated sin. He wouldn't have defeated death. That was the game changer. That was the thing that shifted everything because now the curse of sin and death was defeated because Jesus rose up victoriously and is what allows us to be in right standing with our Father in heaven. That's why we need Jesus. That's why it wasn't just an event in history that we can think back to and go, oh yeah, that was probably a cool thing. It's like, no, that represents 
what Jesus has done in each one of our lives. And maybe today you need to not just know of Jesus, you need to surrender to Jesus. And I wanna give you that opportunity. I wanna give you that opportunity to say, I, I, I've known about Jesus. I've even say, I, I believe that Jesus was who he said he was, but I, I'm not surrendered to him. I haven't laid my life down to him. I haven't laid my prayers, my commitment, my movement in my life. Nothing's happened in my life. Jesus isn't affecting me on a day-to-day -day basis and I'm ready to surrender. I'm tired of trying to do it on my own. Maybe you're like Chris and Kelly and you tried that for a long time and it just kind of blew up. And you need to say today, I'm ready to, to surrender it all. If that's you today, I'd ask you to be bold. I'd ask you to stand to your feet and say, today, in my first act of surrender, I'm not gonna worry about what anybody else thinks. And I'm just gonna stand to my feet and say, I want Jesus. I want to know him more today. And if that's you, I'd encourage you. It's to stand. It's to be bold. Amen. Sir, is it all right if, we, if somebody just comes and prays with you? We just want to kind of follow up with you, your next steps. And um, Michael's going to come over here and he's going to have the opportunity to be able to do that with you. Um, so here, here's the thing, church. The same power that rose Jesus from the grave just affected eternity in this man's life. Let us not forget that, all right? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your power, God. We thank you that you still save. God, in the midst of our sin, God, when we don't deserve it, that you, you still give it to us anyways. That it's a grace like this that allows miracles to happen. That God, you would use broken vessels like myself, that God just don't have it together, don't have it figured out. And somehow in your grace, decide to use us, to use our past and use our current circumstances for your purposes, God. Let us hold tight to the power that exists in the resurrection of your son, Jesus, that God, we never lose sight of that. It never becomes commonplace. We never forget. And we wake up each and every moment dumbfounded by the fact that a man rose from the grave. And that now changes the trajectory of my life moving forward. God, thank you for what you're doing in this church and this group of people right here. God, I pray they all are reminded today and know today you are calling them to active ministry. They don't have to know exactly what that looks like, but God, give them the confidence that yes, them with their past, with who they are right this moment, with what they did last night, you still want to use them. And it's because of your son, Jesus, because that's who's gonna be working in in and through them. So Father, we love you, God. 
And I thank you for your son. And we lift all of this up in his name. Amen.